Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. And we are in for, well, I'm in air conditioning. I don't know about you, but when I saw <laughs> that we're going to have a heat warnings sometime this week, it's like, oh, wait, I thought we were just enjoying a, a, a cool spring. And no, not so much. Uh, it's going to get hot later this week. It is time. Stan Reynolds is joining us here on Koinonia. Uh, Stan, I was struck by the fact that uh, before we get into today's topic, you know, we as uh, people of faith and, uh, well, just adults, sometimes we think, oh, you know, school's over. You know, I, I, you know, what do I really need to do? Uh, Stephen Covey years ago talked about sharpening the saw as an important part of uh, being successful in business, you know, work on the skills that he that help you with um, with the uh, the things of uh, uh, your business and profession to help you get better. Um, but sometimes we as Christians, you know, we don't really work on the new stuff. It's some read the Bible. Uh, I was just talking to you about how I'm listening through the Bible now, and uh, we'll probably finish that in about nine weeks. But uh, there's still new things being discovered each and every day, right? I mean, absolutely. Uh, uh, and there, there's new, uh, new things that that as, as I see them, prove the Bible to be even more true. Uh, how important is it for people of faith now to kind of keep up with, you know, new things? Well, I just think they rob themselves of great excitement and joy that can be found when we realize what is being uncovered by the archaeological. I can't even say it today. There you go. Easy Archaeologists, <laughs> spade, or uh, the physicists' research into the universe, or the astronomers' view through a telescope, and to gradually begin to see the interconnectedness through all of this. And then when it links back to the Bible, you begin to realize, hey, a mind back behind all mm-hmm. of this has been orchestrating and connecting this. So my studies, you know, because of my undergraduate degree in chemistry, got me interested in scientific kinds of things early on and have followed it and continued it, uh, have been interesting. And uh, also in the Bible, as we study Scripture, there's new things that are there every day. I've been struck in the last couple of months by, by Daniel's book and especially the last chapter especially the last few visions that Daniel gets in the last six chapters uh, confuse even him. If you mm-hmm. ever had a trouble reading Daniel's like, so... I don't know what I'm writing, what but... What does this mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and the angel messenger uh, reports to him in the last chapter, chapter 12, says, Daniel, seal up the words of this prophecy and this future telling until the latter days when knowledge shall be greatly increased and men shall go to and fro throughout all the earth... And when I take a look at a chart of the level of knowledge in the United, in the not the United States, but in the world over the last 500 years, you can just see it through the history of the Earth remaining relatively flat and then turning nearly straight vertical yeah. in the last 100 to 200 years. The amount of understanding that we have, Scripture indicates that that was part of a plan and that was foreunderstood, uh, which means there's something there in this explosion of knowledge. For us, if we want it, you know, you don't have to have it. I, right. I, you can, 
you can accept the message of the gospel and be absolutely fine and assured of heaven and, and don't have to do any of those. But if you want to dig a little deeper, yeah. there's some awesomely exciting stuff. One of the things that I delight in is taking headlines and relating it back to the Bible mm-hmm. when conversing with others. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, did you see what they discovered here? What do you think about that in relation to, and then, you know, book of Daniel or something like that? I, I mean, it, that's, that's delightful, I think. Yes, it is. So later today, we'll talk about a headline about uh, a kegger party yeah, in ancient say, Israel. Not all archaeology uh, <laughs> discoveries are uh, of, of weighty and heavy, uh, burdensome nature, right? So we're going to continue the conversation. You're listening to Quenonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Stan Reynolds is my in-studio guest. This is Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I am Tom Brown. You're listening to Koinonia. And uh, we're getting into summer for real here. And that's uh, that's always the time, you know, for a lot. I, when I'm talking with people like uh, on Friday, Bob Olszewski from Colorado Springs, uh, when we talk, I'll be saying things like, yeah, this we're getting into hibernation season for us here in Phoenix. And uh, what I mean by that, it's it's or dead of winter. Uh, is another way that I've said it. And it's really like that because we Phoenicians have a tendency uh, to start, you know, staying inside, just like somebody in Chicago would in January, right? We we want to kind of protect ourselves from the elements. But it's also the time when everybody's getting out and going and doing stuff with the family and vacationing and on and on and on. So it's kind of a, a contradiction here. Uh, but there are lots of things to do in the Valley as far as getting out and seeing museums, uh, one of my favorite museums is in L.A., and, uh, you know, I'm always fascinated when I when I go to a museum where they've got what was, you know, a, a nickel piece of uh, a cup, you know, that now is just immeasurably valuable because of some inscription that was on it, mm-hmm. right? And, and we right. learn all this wonderful stuff about a culture uh, over the weekend, the Memorial Day weekend, the Weather Channel, I believe it was, were doing a lot of uh, uh, featurettes on uh, Mayan cultures and, you know, these extinct cultures and how they could learn so much just from, you know, a, a 10 by 10 piece of uh, writing. Right. Uh, it's, it's fascinating how many things can really be put together. But generally, when you when you see these features, when you when you hear these stories, they go on and on about the great grandness of the find or the, wow, this is a leader from the this century and we didn't know what had happened to him or didn't know if he really existed or whatever. But, you know, sometimes the finds are just like proving that, well, you know, people were people, uh, you know, a couple thousand years ago just like they are now. That's right. The one we wanted to talk about today comes from uh, the area around the Dead Sea in Israel. Beginning in the 1960s, there was an, uh, a recovery in an area called Arad, and it was a fort. Uh, as they dug down, the researchers realized that this was an outpost fort, and it dated to the time around when Babylon came in and conquered Israel. Now, that is about 600 years B.C. That puts it 2,600 years ago from us, puts it about 600 years before Jesus, 
to put it in context, David and Solomon were around 1,000 years B.C., so the fall to Babylon occurred about 400 years after David and Solomon, around 600 B.C., and Here's this outpost in the Dead Sea area in the southern part of Israel, which is sometimes referred to as the Negev. And uh, they're very Phoenix like down there. I mean, <laughs> yes. It's hot and dry. Right. And very desert like. And these soldiers were uh, the outposts that probably would have been wiped out somewhere not too long after that when the Babylonians came through. But they uncovered many shards or chunks or pieces of broken pottery there and uh, looking on the pottery, which that's not uncommon because pottery was made of clay and it did tend to break when you dropped it or when it got old. But inside or on the inside edges of the pottery was scratching inscriptions because in ancient Israel, uh, paper, the only paper-making process was uh, kind of a papyrus process that was difficult and hard to do and expensive and so broken pottery was often repurposed into uh, something to take notes on. Uh, mm-hmm. The equivalent, oh, this sounds funny, but kind of the equivalent of post-it notes. I was thinking it's, it's like the, the early post-it note. Right. They would uh, scratch a, a missive, uh, a letter on it, and, and send it off. And so they found quite a few of these over the 1960s and 70s. And finally, some researchers have gotten around to cataloging all these hundreds and hundreds of little fragments and trying to see what they say. But the new analysis that was put to it was a handwriting analysis. And you've gone to the fair when they'll mm-hmm. pay to write, do your handwriting and tell you something about yourself. Well, the purpose of the, the computerized scanning handwriting analysis of these fragments was to determine how many individuals were responsible for this writing. Was it just one person, like maybe the highly educated fort commander uh, or what? And and the study has come out with some interesting, interesting findings. The, one of the funny ones is that one of the fragments says, a, uh, a full homer of wine. Bring tomorrow. Don't be late. <laughs> so apparently the soldiers in Israel maybe like to drink sometimes like some service folks perhaps do these days. Uh, don't be late was the last part of it scratched on it. And when the analysis of the handwriting analysis of these fragments comes out, it tells us that they identified at least six different individuals mm. that are responsible for some of these letters. Some of it was official reporting from the outpost commander back to Jerusalem. Uh, some of it were personal letters back and forth to family members, and some of it were requests for uh, wine. But it turns out six different folks, one of them was uh, believed to be the outpost commander, and another one would be the uh, the equivalent of in a military, you have a, a, a person who procures your supplies and things, and the name for that person slips my mind. Quartermaster. Yes, quartermaster. And at least one of them was the quartermaster, but the other four were just regular rank-and-file soldiers. <clears throat> What's interesting about analyzing the handwriting on it all and the letters is all the letters are properly formed, show uh, a good and proper extensive working knowledge of essentially reading and writing, which to you and me we say, so, yeah. <laughs> big deal. Right. Uh, but it turns out that the prevailing attitude about the time period of 600 B.C. in ancient Israel was that Israel was mostly a collection of a few nomadic tribes uh, that had very little, if any, literacy rates among the common people. Maybe a few high priests, maybe a few government officials could read and write, but surely most of the folks did not. 
And there's a great body of literature from the Old Testament that comes from around the time of the conquering by the Babylonians. Daniel, who we were talking about earlier, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah. These are large works of lots of material. And there's some very intensive predictions about the future in Isaiah chapter 53 about when the Messiah will come and what kind of death he will suffer. Uh, In Jeremiah, there's additional information. There's some tremendous information in Isaiah about the stretching out of the heavens and how God expands the universe, physical information that physicists wouldn't verify for two more thousand years. So all of this material that comes from the time of around the Babylonian uh, conquering was not generally believed to have been written at that time Mm. among the folks who like to question such things right. uh, and believe that, no, they were written much later, not by the real Isaiah, but by somebody posing to be Isaiah, not by the real Daniel, but somebody posing to be Daniel. In fact, this explains how Daniel could have prophesied about the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire yet to come, how he could have gotten it so accurate. Well, it really wasn't written when the Daniel lived. It was written many hundreds of years later. And, and, and of course, it, those guys couldn't have even written and right. write it. So and and there wouldn't be anybody to read it, you know, were it written. I mean, right. it would be. Why would somebody d- d- spend that much energy, uh, a- as it were, when it was only for a handful of people in the whole country? Right, and when in fact we now know from the culture of Israel the the idea that God Himself would deliver a written word, starting with the Ten Commandments, but culminating in the books of Moses and the prophets. That the, the concept that that was not just men and women putting those things down, but God directing and tying it all together, that led to a tremendous reverence for the Word of God. And it was important to, for all Israelis, for their young to be able to hear God's Word too, because mm-hmm. if the next generation doesn't read it and know it, then when the first generation dies out that split the sea, then the next generation says, I don't know, those old stories, I, I don't even remember. Uh, so, so reading and writing in schools and things are very important in Israel and are mentioned throughout the Old Testament. So we, as Christ followers, read in the Old Testament for years. You know, we do. What's the big deal here? Of course they could read and write. But it's amazing that the secular scholars who, who question so much of Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of these other prophets like Daniel— Uh, struggle with the idea that there could be writing. So the headline uh, reads uh, in Newser on the Internet, that command, a full homer of wine, bring tomorrow, don't be late, (laughs) that command written on pottery excavated near the Dead Sea not only shows soldiers like to drink in the kingdom of Judah around 600 B.C., it might also push back the date of the writing of the Old Testament. And then the articles go on to talk about scholars are going to have to rethink their timing and dating for... Secular scholars. Secular right. scholars, that's <laughs> correct. And it reminds me of a time period 30, 40, 50 years ago. Well, it wasn't that far back ago, but, but when I was in college, the prevailing understanding or questioning was about the books of Moses that were written, of course, even farther back than 600 B.C. These would have been more like 1500 B.C. And not only could people not read or write... There simply wasn't believed to be written language at the time of Moses. How could God have written down the Ten Commandments? There wasn't even written language. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, that was upset dramatically by the finding of the Rosetta Stone in Egypt that was written in three different languages, one of which wasn't considered to be a language. It was Egyptian hieroglyphics. They thought it was just pictures 
turned out that it was the same announcement in three languages on one placard, which is the Rosetta Stone, allows you, knowing one of the three languages, you can now translate and learn the other two. Mm -hmm. And so they discovered that Egyptian hieroglyphics that adorn the pyramids and the Sphinx are are not symbols, they're not pictures in the sense of of drawings of of things. They actually, each one is encoded to a word, means it is a written language in pictograph form, which means that Moses and others easily understood, especially Moses having been raised in Egypt, understood reading and writing. So reading and writing existed way back up to a thousand years before Moses, and literacy rates in Israel we now find were high, very high. The average common soldier could read and write well in Israel at 600 B.C. Uh, So these things tell us that the scriptures are true and that they are giving us an accurate information, and their their information is so important that families want their folks to be literate in the scripture. Mm -hmm. Now, there's one thing to be literate in the ability to read and write, and there's another thing to be literate in scriptures. You and I can read and write and be very illiterate in terms of Scripture because we just don't spend much time with it. And uh, reading through one time gets you a little bit of information, and and the plain surface meaning of of God and His salvation is right there. One read through, you can pretty much get it. But if you want more, you read through it more. So my my current Bible reading program I'm on is I'm, I'm reading the four Gospels, one each month, so I read Matthew now, I'll do Mark next, then Luke, and then John each month, and I start over again for the year. So I will read each of the three, four Gospels three times over the 12 months just to really hone in and focus and understand what is Jesus saying here, yeah. the most important part, the red letters. Right. It's something that um, is very germane to what I'm doing. I, I listen to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the period of 10 days, and that's close enough together that oh yeah that was that's just a few you start connecting things. you start connecting things that you didn't put together before mm-hmm. we've got more conversation coming here on kpxq this is faith talk 1360 kpxq i'm tom brown stan reynolds uh in studio with me and uh, stan before we move into or continue the topic here uh, you have give me a little bit of your bio. You've got some books. You're doing some classes. Um, just a, a little mini bio of Stan Reynolds and your and your uh, results of your curiosity. Well, I'm kind of an educator, if you will. We have a class um, in the valley here that we meet together as Christians to study the Scripture and to integrate or tie into it archaeology, science, physics, astronomy history, and the Bible, to tie them together, to begin to catch that feeling of that connectedness between it all. My background is, you know, I went to ASU here in Phoenix many years ago, got an undergraduate degree in chemistry, decided along the way that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in a chem lab. Uh, I tell the story about uh, the particular professor I had for organic chemistry that they wheeled in in a wheelchair to teach our class that yeah, semester. and that would be uh, I mean, all of us students were going like, well, what's, what's the matter with Dr. So-and-so? You know, what is that? And, uh, you know, the story, probably not true, was that he breathed too many of those organic vapors from the esters and the diols and other kinds right. of things in the lab without the proper ventilation uh-huh. hoods, and, and it affected his neurological system. So I don't know. I thought, you know, at 20, I know that I want to do 22 that. years of age, I said, I don't want that to do so, uh, I began taking business core courses. By the time I graduated with my undergraduate degree in chemistry, liberal arts, I 
went back for a bachelor's or for a master's in business administration. And most of my secular working career has been in the business field. But I've continued to study and learn and track and, and teach. And so we also have a little Facebook page. If you go to Facebook.com slash Reynolds Resources, all one word, Facebook dot slash dot com slash Reynolds Resources. We I put some of these kinds of things up there. You'll see some pictures of these uh archaeological fragments here that we're talking about today and some narrative on it. And we just basically post updates as things come available and encourage some dialogue and some talk about it with people. I have uh, a friend and also a program producer here on KPXQ, uh, David Bowen. He does a program called Interpreting the Times. And uh, I find it fascinating. He's another one of these uh, – he's a pastor, but he has a, a, a particular interest in taking – you know, the current headlines and current uh, happenings and filtering them through the Bible. And like you said, there's connectivity that just can't be denied if, unless, you're just, unless you're just blinded to it, which the Bible says that's, you know, the, that there are many that are going to be and will continue to be blinded to the truth. But uh, we as people of faith, you know, I, I don't want to say you need to necessarily Go take a college or master's or doctorate level class on this stuff, but you really should stay uh, in the know. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to maybe just find something that a particular area of science or or something that is of uh, particular interest to you for astronomy. If you like, uh, you know, the beautiful night sky, there's lots to be learned and what we're learning about our universe is fascinating, and then you you put it in the context of God's creation, it's just even more exciting. Well, so much has come up in the last 50 years. I mean, it's commonly understood now things such as uh, the universe had a beginning point in space and time uh, in the finite past, not the infinite past. Well, that's essentially what the Bible says in the first three words of the opening page, in the beginning. That was not generally believed 100 mm-hmm. years ago for 2,000 that years. That was considered to be a literary device mm-hmm. for storytelling. And then the question was, okay, so maybe uh, the Bible got some things right, but it, it really wasn't written when it was written by the people who say it was written. But yet the body of material coming out as we, are, as we do archaeology around the world, uh, pretty much most folks now in the secular, not somewhat non-believing community have come to the conclusion that, for the most part, most all of the books of New Testament are not really that contested anymore as having really been written when we think they were written by the person we think they were written by. So instead of someone saying, well, how can you believe that gospel? I mean, who mm-hmm. knows? The books have been retranslated so many times, and yeah. they weren't even written by who you think they were written. Anybody in the know knows that that's, that's not true. Mm-hmm. So the question now becomes, no, it really was written by those people, and they really did do all of that. The question just becomes, do you believe their message? Uh, it's not so much you have to attack the author or the material or the archaeology because it's uh, clearly coming into line for anyone who likes it. It's, it's the message. Well, the message of the Scripture is so radical mm-hmm. that I can understand why people would. I mean, I'm reading the Gospels now. You know, I'm working Matthew, Mark, Luke, John through again and again. And it struck me, why four Gospels? Yeah. I, I'm, unbeknownst to you, I actually had that very thought on the treadmill this morning because I'm, you know, several chapters into Acts now, and I, he's kind of replaying some of the things that I just heard about, you know, and like, so why do we need four Gospels anyway? And who were these guys? You know, it's just kind of a refreshing of, 
Well, who yeah. were these guys? Really? Because, you know, when someone oftentimes uh, makes a commitment to follow after Jesus Christ, we oftentimes urge them, well, now, read the Gospel of John. That mm, one in particular is one. a good starting place. Yeah. And so you read it, and Jesus, you know, he's being born, he's growing up, he's developing a following, he, they, he gets crucified, he resurrects from the dead, and he sends the disciples out. And then when, then when you're done, they tell you, now, now start over, New Testament, start working your way through the New Testament. So you go to Matthew and open it up, and Jesus, baby, he's being born, he's growing up. And you think, this uh, is strange. This you, know? you get to the end, you go to Mark, and it's Jesus, and he's being born, he's growing up. And, and if you didn't have a lot of background coming into it, you would think, this is really strange. This is deja vu. I mean, I've read this before. It's like what's really, what's the really point? repetitive. <laughs> Four different Gospels. And if you read them for a while, a couple of times, you begin to notice there are some differences between mm-hmm. them in the stories. Uh, uh, three of the Gospels have Jesus cleansing the temple of the money changers in the first couple of weeks of his three-and-a-half-year ministry. But John has him doing it in the last week right yep. before he's crucified. Right before he's crucified. Aha, yeah. I found an error yeah. in the Bible. <laughs> and there, there are yeah, some thoughts about the Bible that set people up sort of for failure. Like, like there absolutely can't be anything in the Bible no matter what, not one little... That, well, okay, but if you're set up that way and then you find one of these, you, you only have one of two options. You either have to do some mental gymnastics to try to figure out a way to explain it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, he cast the money changers out at the beginning of his ministry. And when he came back three and a half years later, they were back again. So he had to do it again. Well, the the scripture doesn't tell us that. But if if that resolves it for you and that I'm okay with that. But the reality of it is. Maybe they, the two different gospel witnesses just remembered it differently. And, and does that necessarily invalidate? Right. And, and John says specifically, you know, if, if, if I were actually to write down everything that I saw, it, it would just it would be too, too much. We, we couldn't handle it all. When we look at the Bible, we find, find this interesting situation where over and over again, major sections of the Bible are repeated. Deuteronomy, Matthew, Matthew Mark, Luke, Deuteronomy. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The word Deuteronomy means basically the second telling of the law. Mm-hmm. We're just going to tell you again what we told you in Leviticus, okay, plus a few little add-on things. And then you have First and Second Kings, which are a continuum. They're not a duplicate of each other, but then they're completely duplicated by First and Second Chronicles. Uh, then, of course, you get into the Gospels, and you have four Gospel presentations. So, so either God knew that we would be a little dense, and we might need to be told a couple of times, and we can laugh and make a joke of it, or maybe he had other intentions involved. And what we learn from looking at some of the major world's religious books, we find an interesting history. Some of it is denied by some of the fo- followers of major religions, but secular history shows that certain of the books of uh, certain major world religions began to be in conflict with each other as copies rolled out, and there was a period of time when they were all gathered up by a major leader at the time, and he picked the one that would be the official one, and everything else was burned. Mm -hmm. And yet you come into the Gospels, and you have these four Gospels, and why did the early church, uh, as it was beginning to get organized uh, after the Roman persecution, why did they officially... Uh, settle on these four. Well, they did because these four Gospels were being used throughout the the church, throughout the Roman Empire as they hid underground. But finally, when Constantine became a Christian in 325 AD, uh, the Christians could come out of the catacombs underground, and they, they all looked at what they were using and what books were in their area, and they all agreed Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John should be there. 
And there are several instances of strange things happening, uh, different accounts of like Jesus, uh, the woman when she's washing his feet, whether she's doing it at Lazarus' house or whether it's uh, somewhere else. And, and if, if you're one to want to pick out, you can find a list of 40 or 50 errors, inconsistencies in the Gospels on the secular websites out there just to show you how, how error-prone your Bible is. Yeah. And what they, what they kind of miss out on the fact is that in a court of law, if you wanted to establish a fact, you would want to have more than one witness. Mm-hmm. And if you had more than one witness, you would really like for each of your witnesses not to say exactly the same thing. If they all say exactly the same thing, didn't, did an attorney get to them and coach them That's on right. their testimony ahead the of time? Sec- anytime any interviewer uh, goes through the witnesses and they are telling the exact same story, they know better because that's not how humans tell stories. And in fact, people see things from different perspectives. If, if there was an accident and you had four witnesses on four different corners Great who thing. reported the story of the accident, at least one of them would be in a position to see whether the light was red or green at the time the car is hit. But another one wouldn't see it at all. But he might be in the position to see if the smoke rose out of the tires. Did he put on the brakes or not or even try? And by piecing together all four of the witnesses' stories and accounting for the little bit of inconsistencies between them, if one of them thought the light had not changed yet and the other one thought they did, But the main key facts of the accident, there were two cars. These were the drivers of the cars. This was the time of day that it occurred. This was the intersection. This was the intersection. (laughs) This was the result. And this is when the the main key facts are all verified. And we have a high, high degree of confidence that we know what's truly important about the events that happened. And we'd like to see little differences between them to help us understand the witnesses were not coached. If you were really trying to just get into people's mind and create a controlling religion, you would have never put all four Gospels in if you had any chance. Right. You would have. Because of the stated reasons right there, you would give people an opportunity. I saw a meme on Facebook uh, last couple of weeks talking about the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of world religions, individual revelation in private, spoken about publicly, Mm -hmm. whereas Christ, public revelation... And spoken about by everybody, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, it's just, it's just you can't have uh, you can't have a controlled narrative if you truly want to, you know, know how we as humans mm-hmm. who are fallible aren't going to say verbatim, uh, you know, a retelling of any observation. And uh, I. I Agreeing with you 100%. It seems to lend even more credibility to it, right? And well, more... when we come back from the break, we'll, we'll actually see what each of the four is supposed to do and accomplish. We're going to continue the conversation. Stan Reynolds in with me here. This is Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. You're listening to Tom Brown's Quinania. This is Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Stan Reynolds, my guest. And we started with, uh, you know, uh, interpretation of an old piece of pottery, you know. And isn't it amazing how really if you allow yourself to be taken in by the the incredible uh, breadth of God's creation and then bring it down to the tiniest minutia of uh, connectivity, that there's simply no way 
to think, oh, this was just a roll of the dice, if you will. You know, there's there's a creator here. And not only uh, is there a creator, he's a creator that delights in us seeing his creation. Isn't that a key? I mean, so that's, much so. It, 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 you, I don't care what it is. I think he delights in us finding out these little, uh, to use it in modern uh, uh, computer game parlance, little Easter eggs. You know, for us, mm-hmm. there, there's just things all over his creation that are just for us. He not only delighted in creating a habitat for us here, but it appears that not only is it perfectly suited for us to exist on the planet, but it's perfectly suited for us to discover and find out things about it and the universe. I mean, the idea that we humans on this speck of dust in the corner of the universe have been able to map the scope and length and breadth and time frame of the entire universe's history is astonishing. Mm-hmm. And the more and more that we are, we are finding out as we move along, getting a chance to see how the Creator has connected everything. On, on Friday, for some reason, Friday afternoon, our air conditioning upstairs quit. And it was blowing out hot air. And my spouse uh, texted me, hey, we better do something about this. We've got the Monday holiday coming up. If we don't get it, we better get a service guy out here right away. Yeah. So she turned off the air conditioner in case it would overburn itself out and called uh, the, one of the folks here in town that services our units. And a, and a great guy came out. I got home in time to kind of be there. And he went through everything. He checked the capacitors and the voltage and the Freon or whatever the coolant is that they use nowadays and inside blowers and all. Turned it back on. It's working perfectly. Of course. Of course. Yes. And he says, next time it does something like that, don't turn it off. Keep it in that broken state so I can find it. But everything's fine. So my, my sweet wife, she says, so... We don't really necessarily think that, that everything is, could be a coincidence. Some things maybe are, but we don't think everything is. And, and Stan and I, you know, we, we, we believe in God. And we just wonder if maybe there's something going on in your life, Mr. Air Conditioner Repairman, that, that you've been wondering about or seeking God for. And since you're in our house anyway, can we, can we pray with you about it? He says, well, yeah, my girlfriend and I, we're, we're trying to find a place to live. And nothing's just opening up for us from where we are now. I'm thinking in my mind, oh, great, girlfriend, living together, together. not married, okay, how are we going to deal with this, blah, 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 blah. But the point of it is, I don't care about any of that. Yeah. A hundred years from now, when you're dead in heaven, in one sense, I hope I can say this right without freaking anybody out, it won't matter yes. who you lived with down here. Yeah. Unless, if, if you got it right somewhere along the way and you found Jesus, and that it didn't matter what happened before, okay? Yeah. So let's not freak out about what people are doing right now. Let's freak out about some way to get them to yeah. where they need to be. So he says, well, we've been doing this, uh, trying to find a place to live and uh, uh, from where we're living now. And so my wife says, well, would it be okay if we... Just pray with you about it right now. Yeah. And he says, okay. So we're standing in the hallway there. So we kind of like didn't, let's lay hands on him, sure. you know. Like, no, I don't think we're going to do a prayer circle and hold hands here. Let's just, let's just pray while we're standing here. So, so we did, and she prayed, and it was great. And then, then I began to pray. And I remember I said, you know, God the Father created a trillion individual cells in your body that, is, that are coordinated and working together in a perfect unison. And he threw up at least a trillion, trillion stars into the universe. And they seem to be important, all working together to make there be even one stable earth that we can live on. That kind of a being 
it doesn't bother him one bit to be involved with our air conditioner this afternoon and where you'll have a place to live. Mm-hmm. So I pray that God, things would open up, and, and, and then I just prayed, and you know, Lord, you know, they mentioned that the, their boyfriend, girlfriend living together, and they're not married for some reason or not, and I just pray, Lord, that whatever those issues are that have made that something difficult for them to come together on, that you would help resolve that too. And in the next week or so, when he finds that place, I pray that it will happen in such a way that he'll say, huh, yeah, huh. And so that's that connectedness sure. when we when we can connect with the Father. And I see it in the four Gospels when when I take a look at why are there four Gospels. Uh, they're all connected together with God's purposes because at that time there were four major people groups in the world to get the church going that they needed to preach to. The first one were the Jews. And Matthew's Gospel, Matthew is a Jew. And uh, he's interested in directing his Gospel message to the Jews. And the Jews, what's really important to them is whether or not the Messiah anyone claiming to be the Messiah, fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. So over and over again in Matthew's gospel, he's requiring, he's saying that, well, this was done such to fulfill what was written by the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes Isaiah over and over and over again. Matthew is a tax collector. And the tax collectors of the Roman era used a form of shorthand to keep the records as people came up there to pay their records and all. So it's, it's in Matthew's gospel we find the long discourses, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, goes on like for, for four chapters. Like, yep. what? How did, he, how did he remember all of that? Well, most likely he had a form of shorthand there. Uh, and so his gospel is geared toward the Jews. Yeah. Then comes along Mark. Most likely Mark's gospel is geared or directed toward the Roman Empire. The Mark, his name actually Marcus, indicates that there may have been a mixed marriage in his parents, perhaps a, a Jewish parent and a, a Roman parent involved in there. We're not sure entirely on that, but what we do know is that the Romans couldn't care less about who was so-and-so, begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so, what mm-hmm. was your lineage, who's your daddy? You know, the, yeah. the Romans couldn't care about that. It's all about power for the Romans. If you're powerful enough to take the empire, you can be Caesar. We don't care. If you're powerful enough to knock the old one out... How strong are you? And so Mark's gospel starts out with no genealogy, no Jesus as a baby in the manger, just boom, first page, big miracle, casting demons out of guys, screaming out with demons in them, you know. And page after page in his short little 16 gospel, it's the most miracle-laden per-page document of the four gospels because that's all the Romans care about. Show me the power. Luke, Luke is the uh, trained physician and most likely of Greek origin, and most likely his message is to the Greeks, and the Greeks valued knowledge, information, detail. Prove it to me with logic. And so Luke's gospel, as well as the book of Acts that you're in, focuses on giving us all the detail. Luke names the name of the street that they went down, (laughs) and the country then, and the city then, how many miles it was from there. When you get into the book of Acts, Luke tells us that the shipwreck uh, in like chapter 9 or 10, wherever that is, uh, that how how hard the winds were blowing, what direction they were coming from, when they let down ropes to figure out uh, how, how deep, deep the, the water, water was, was, how many cubits it was. And when they went a little further, <laughs> how many more cubits it was. And then they struck a reef where two seas met, and they put out how many anchors? Four anchors, you know, all the details. You were talking about <laughs> well, when Stephen. Well, in, in, in the telling of uh, the stoning of Stephen, you know, he's in, in his efforts to tell what Stephen got in trouble for, he basically goes through Stephen telling the story of Moses and most of the instead Old of Testament. Just, instead of just referring to as told in the Old Testament, no, he retells the Old Testament. And it's just like, okay, got it? 
Got it good. The Greeks love that. And as a physician trained to notice details and diagnose illnesses, he loved that. And so give me the details. Show me. I want to compare this with that and see if it's really true. That's the Greek mentality. John's gospel is to the fourth major group. It's the church, the church itself. And he's interested in showing uh, Jesus Christ as God. Uh, there's little telltale in it, even in the genealogy. Matthew traces Jesus' genealogy back to Abraham and stops. Because mm-hmm. that's what's important to the Jews. Are you a son of Abraham? Yeah. Mark has no genealogy because that doesn't matter to the Romans. Uh, Luke traces his genealogy back to Adam and calls him the son of man. Uh, John doesn't have a genealogy, but his book starts out like this. In the beginning was the Word. The yeah. Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. We beheld his glory, that of the only begotten of the Father, Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. Uh, so each one, their emphasis, their direction, their target group, and their perspective that they bring to it all uh, tells us an awful lot about like in our example of the accident with four witnesses on four corners, when we put them all together, gives us a broadly uh, based view of Jesus, the exact the events, the main things he said, and and allows us through the subtle differences that exist between them to see the differences that God allows in their personalities as being used by God. Mm-hmm. God doesn't insist that the Bible was dictated word for word by God. It, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of that God. That doesn't speak to relationship, right? I mean, if if God just dictated everything he wanted written down, there's no relationship there. Mm-hmm. Because he invites us into partnership with him. Yeah. This is the incredible thing. He extends his hand, and basically the marriage supper of the Lamb and that whole sort of thing, when we join with him, uh, whatever is the great and grand new adventure that lies beyond the end of this world when he creates the new worlds, the new heavens and the earth— He's inviting us to join him and go along with him on it. Just like the bridegroom invites the bride, come build a life with me and let's adventure together. And that whole terminology, that whole likeness is used in Scripture that we join with Jesus, we're joined with him, and he's extending this invitation. We're partnering with him. While we're waiting for the new heavens and the earth, we partner with him here. Mm -hmm. Like when the service man comes to work on my air conditioner, you know. That's exciting that, that I could do my little part being trying to be led by the Holy Spirit, and God's doing his part inside the guy as he hears these things, and we're working together. I can right. only judge and work with the outside, and God judges and works with, on his inside with his conscience, and, and the two together. I don't know why, but he actually allowed me to team up with him. That's incredible. It's like LeBron James saying, hey, Stan, pass me the ball. Yeah. I'll dunk it, but you got to pass it to me. Yeah. I say, really? You want me to do that? Absolutely. It is uh, a powerfully an example throughout the gospel that we have an opportunity to be a seed planter, to be a waterer. Sometimes we get the joy of being a harvester, Mm -hmm. Uh, that it is, you know, always the the harvest is, is ripe, it's ready, but it didn't happen overnight, and it didn't happen just with one exposure. And the fact that all of this works together, and you don't know what part you are in any one person's life, and I believe that speaks back to uh, the parable of the uh, the brides waiting with the lamps, always ready, because we don't know when he's coming. We don't know when the harvest is going to happen, but we're called to be ready. We are invited to be partners with him in it. It's it's really cool. We're going to come back. We're going to close with prayer. And uh, 
give you uh, contact information if you want to follow along with uh, uh, Stan and some of the things that God is revealing to him and some of the exciting things that are going on in the world of science. Uh, and it's happening all the time. You're listening to Koinonia. This is Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. And let people know, uh, again, how they can uh, follow along on Facebook or if they want to contact you, how they go about doing that. Well, you go to Facebook.com slash Reynolds Resources, and you'll find a little bit of resource material there, uh, including the archaeological find that we talked about today, as well as uh, the Goliath of Gath. I think we talked about that in April when we mm-hmm. were together, the archaeological find about Goliath and some of these others. Um, it's important when we're talking with our friends and folks that we we use good, verified archaeological finds. There are some things out there that haven't been verified, and sometimes we can look a little silly if we rush too quickly to embrace and believe everything that we see and read. Um, There's a particular person out on the Internet that claims to have found the Ark and... uh, the uh, not only the Ark of Noah, but he's also supposedly has found the Ark of the Covenant. Wow, uh, that's and, impressive. And the chariot wheels of the <laughs> Egyptian army in the Dead Sea. Yeah, uh, a couple of things. Like, but curiously, when you try to find cross-verification, when you look for uh, others who, ha- who have seen the parts that he says he's found, who have handled it, who have cross-tested it, uh, none of it gets out there. And so there's no way to cross-verify anything. Those kinds of finds you have to be really, really careful with. Uh, but the ones that are that the secularists end up finding and cross-verify for us, uh, they'll stand the test of time. So we don't have to prove to everyone that they found the Ark of Noah. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe they have, maybe they will, or maybe they won't. But it's not crucial we do until the data is well, really Well, and in strong. fact, as you were talking, you know, the stuff you talked about today found some time ago. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's taken a while to get all the cataloging and uh, comparative analysis. Let me cro- close with a real quick prayer here. Father, we just thank you for allowing us to know you. Lord, that you would give us an opportunity uh, to have a relationship with the creator of all that is, was, and ever will be is, quite yes. frankly, overwhelming. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Uh, yes. Lord, I thank you for uh, Mary. Give her a wonderful day. And Lord, I pray for those listening today that they will be challenged and inspired to find out more about you through your creation. My heavenly name I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, Stan, thanks. Uh, Looking forward to having you back again soon. Always a delight. 